This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. We had a lot of encounters in the river in terms of sticks, you know, running into rocks. And so because the river's so low, at certain points, we had three or four points where I had to put on chacos, like in the water while drifting, which is not super easy in itself, and not lose them, while coming up on a rock garden. The first one at mile 18, I ran into the rock garden and sort of on my, on my hip, and it sort of got rolled up against it, right, as I'm putting on my chaco. And luckily, I had just gotten it on and kind of popped up but they're all covered with you know, algae and they're super slick and you know, the, the current's rushing through there and it's six inches or uh, you know, knee deep and it's super dangerous, right? And there's rocks and just, you get thrashed up against those things, it, it hurts. This story is the intersection of a human swimming a river for 52 miles in one day and of the same river being exhausted from continuous water extraction for human applications. On June 27 of this summer, in 2021, Matt Mosley again went for a long open water swim. This time, the location was the Green River in Utah, starting at Mineral Bottom, swimming the 52 miles downstream to the confluence of the Colorado River. This is a thing that Matt does, open water swims. He does this for his health, his joy, and he does it to bring attention to the water he is in. And on this swim, there wasn't much water to swim in. The Green River was at historic low flows and Matt dragged his hand often on the bottom of the river, even in the deepest channels. The river radius went with Matt for this swim. We interviewed Matt and his support team to understand all of the layers of open water swimming, the logistics, the message behind the swim, the people behind the swim, and the blue mind of the swim. Matt is one of the more distinctive humans I have met. The crew assembled to support the swim was almost as equally distinctive. And then, a river trip with one person swimming half of the distance is rare. We start off walking down a dirt road next to the Green River in Utah, two nights before Matt goes for his swim. Matt tells me about himself, his life, the open water swim he is about to embark upon, and why he puts himself to the task of such a swim. First question is, would you just tell me who you are? Introduce me to you. Yeah, right bit. on. I'm Matt Mosley. I live in Boulder, Colorado. Been there about 30 years, but I grew up in Louisiana, which is uh, from New Orleans, and that's kind of my soul city. You know, I carry a lot of that with me wherever I go. So, um, but in my, uh, I call it my early morning job. I'm an open water swimmer. And then in my day job, I'm a public affairs strategist and work on a lot of different issues and we do a lot of communications around public policy stuff like water, education, transportation, healthcare, energy, all that kind of stuff. Things that really matter to people. So I want to ask you about open water swimming, but first would you, we're walking, where, just lay it out. So the scene right now is so beautiful. We were walking along at sunset along the Green River at Mineral Bottom where we have bats flying around. The water is shimmering, it's so beautiful, and the red rock canyon walls are just, so it's a really beautiful spot. And what is open water swimming? Open water swimming is really where you take away the lanes and the clock, and you, you discover bodies of water to swim. And 
I call it adventure swimming, endurance swimming, open water swimming. It's kind of all the, all the same stuff. It's been a really big part of my life. How long have you been doing it? About 30 years. And what's really interesting is that, you know, I swam in high school. I wasn't a very good swimmer. I was okay. I wasn't going to get a college scholarship. When I moved from Louisiana to Telluride, it's a great time in my life. And then I met my wife, Kristen. She went to law school at CU and I went to graduate school in Boulder. She pitched in and got some people to pitch in to get me this canoe for my birthday. And this was 26 years ago this year. And the canoe came with a trip down the Colorado River. The Canyonlands where we are now. And I brought my goggles and my swim cap just by happenstance and swam and it was like this revelation that whoa you take away the clock and you had this beautiful river and it just was magical to me it really spoke to me on a lot of different levels because you can have fun you know right it wasn't a competition it was just like just swimming for the pure beauty and the elegance of just being out there you know in the water and that was that just really like changed my life actually because then i went on to start you know doing 10k races and then i decided you know we would do this thing where my cousin who swam for the u.s olympic swim team he uh he and i are really good buddies and we would go all right let's go to Telluride bluegrass festival and we go swim from moab to potash point or we're like hey let's go to new orleans jazz fest let's go swim on lake pontchartrain for a little bit and that kept building and then hey let's go to burning man with my buddy rick and we'll swim 22 miles on lake tahoe and then we'll go, jump out of there and go into Burning Man. And you feel like a million dollars. Like you, people are like, God, you must be so tired and crushed. It's like, oh no, just the opposite. You feel in fuego. Like you're, all your synapses are clear and firing and you've just done this great athletic endeavor. And now you're like, all right, let's go have some fun. So that's kind of how I got into open water swimming. So tell us what we're doing here. You've laid out the landscape and obviously we're here for some open water swimming. But more specifically, this Green River, why, what's going on here? Yeah. So uh, five years ago, I, I did the first ever swim from Potash Point to the confluence of the Green for 47 miles. The confluence of the Green and the Colorado, the Colorado River, yes. right. And that took 13 hours and 56 minutes or so. That was 47 miles. Um, and so here we are, I have since then had a little dream and harbored this adventure of coming back to the Green River and meet at the confluence. Now this is significant because the confluence is where my wife and I got engaged and we found out we were pregnant with our first son, Charlie. And we've been going down now for 26 years after she gave me that canoe. And so here we are at this crux point of our history, right? And so. It's a 52 mile swim. It's gonna take about 16 to 17 hours of nonstop swimming, but it's really about like this bigger cause of water in the West and what it means to protect our rivers. And so this swim is really just the kind of a vessel to tell this bigger story about what these rivers mean to people and to connect people with their water. And that's something that I swim for. You know, if it was just me, I'd get out like halfway, but it's not about me. It's about what these rivers mean to us as a people, the divine nature of water itself is so special. And when I'm in the water for, for periods of time, I don't know when it starts, but at some point I 
am a creature of the water and I'm just floating along with divine inspiration on that current, keeping me in that channel, the fastest water, and just floating along almost effortlessly using as little energy as possible, loving the canyons, and to know that this is about swimming with a purpose. And like every, every stroke, every breath is like a forward propulsion of my energy towards this place. And to be a part of that history, oh man, it is so, like, I'm honored, I'm humbled. It's the most special offering I can make to this place is swimming this river right now with this team. So it's a really beautiful experience. What is your, if, if you could express an outcome that you hope for out of this beyond you, beyond this, this group of, of, of people, 16 people here, what are you hoping people take and do with your swim? So what I hope is that we are ambassadors of the water. We are the people who tell the stories of these rivers and that the way to make people care about an issue is to tell them a really good story. And so what I expect is that we're able to complete this swim, God willing, that we will go forth and that it will be, we'll be a part of this history of the place and that will also inspire other people to care about it. And if we can care about it, then maybe we can protect it. And tell me a little bit more about kind of this basic side of the open water swim. Are there rules that you have to follow to set records? Yeah, sure. The World Open Water Swimming Association is sort of the governing body of this, if you call it a sport. But yes, it is a sport because they got the 10K into the Olympics. Steve Munitonis is kind of the head guy there, and he's been really supportive of all of my big swims. Back in 1880, Captain Matthew Webb was the first person to sort of document a swim across the English Channel. And he said, look, there's five rules. There's, there's like a handful of rules. You can't touch a boat. You can't touch a person. You can't have any flotation, which means a wetsuit or a buoy or whatever. You have to stand up on a shore and end on a shore and stand up. And that has tripped some people up quite a bit because you can't just go on a rock somewhere. That's kind of the basics. And you can wear one swim costume, a cap, and goggles. And that's it. Today's sponsor is American Rivers. This is a nationwide organization doing the work to protect rivers of the United States, and they are hiring. Here's American Rivers to tell you about this sweet new position. Since 1973, American Rivers has protected wild rivers, restored damaged and degraded rivers, and conserved clean water for people and nature. We have over 300,000 members and supporters across the nation, including many right here in the Colorado River Basin. I'm Mike Fiebig. I lead our Southwest River Protection Program. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new job opportunity to help protect the last best free-flowing rivers in the Southwest US. We're hiring an Associate Director of River Protection. It's open right now until July 15th. American Rivers is a wonderful place to work for. We have a high-paced, creative, energetic team that gets out in the field. I get to work both in the field. I get to go take people out on amazing rivers. And of course, you know, we've got to knuckle down and do some policy on the computer, in the office, in meeting rooms as well. You can find the details at both AmericanRivers.org and in the show notes to this episode. <laughs> 
and I'll tell you more about it in the middle of the episode. Because of the challenges associated with open water swims, Matt has a mental conditioning coach. Mark Williams serves as his mental conditioning coach and also is with Matt when he performs his official swims. In addition to working with Matt on his mind, Mark paddles in a sea kayak next to Matt on his official swims. One day after the swim was complete and we were still on the river, I interviewed Mark while we sat on my boat at a river beach. This is Mark Williams. My name is Mark Williams. And Mark, tell me about your life. What, what do you do with your life? What do I do with my life? Let's see. The most important thing I do with my life is raise two daughters and try to be a good husband to my lovely wife. That's probably the most important thing I do with my life. And then secondarily to that, I'm in the uh, IT world. I do things with AI and machine learning type stuff. And then the other thing I do, my passion work is I'm with a nonprofit called Veterans Path, which teaches veterans how to use mindfulness to, uh, to live better. So that's what I quote do for a living. And then in terms for fun, uh, I like doing things like this, like I did with Matt, which is uh, being out on the water. Yeah, recreation, the great outdoors. That's why I live in a place like Colorado. You are an instrumental, I think. Am I right to say you're an instrumental part of Matt's swims? I would never say that. I, I contribute as best as I can. And the way I contribute is by helping feed him while he's on these pretty big swims and then also in the past I've taught Matt some kind of mind training techniques that help him uh, kind of manage himself as he goes down the river. And when you say feed you don't mean feed him ideas you mean feed him calories, food, water. Yeah when he's doing one of these super long swims basically he needs to manage his hydration and his nutrition so he never bonks on the way down and so you know this particular swim he was almost 15 hours. The swim we did down the Colorado, I think, was 14. And then we did a swim in Puerto Rico, which was, I think, 14 or so. If you're going to be doing something that athletic for that long a period of time, you got to be managing hydration and nutrition. It's a huge part of either succeeding or not succeeding along the way. As you are likely surmising, the logistics of the swim is more than just Matt in the water propelling himself downriver. If Matt had to also navigate the river, watching for rocks, logs, debris, sandbars, and find and follow the main channel, the Thalweg, he would expend an immense amount of additional energy and time with that task. To support Matt in the swim, there are two small boats in the water. One is a canoe that is about 20 to 30 yards in front of Matt. This was paddled by two people. The first is Mike Feebig, who is the trip leader and the river expert in the canoe, charged with always finding the fast, deep water of the Thalweg and watching for obstacles. Also in this canoe was John Manns, who is providing some support paddling, but is frequently more focused on video work with a set of cameras. The second boat is a sea kayak, with one person in that kayak, and that is the mental conditioning coach, Mark Williams, who we just heard from. In this official swim, Mark is always six feet away from Matt in a sea kayak, providing critical support during Matt's 52-mile swim. Matt and Mark describe in detail how they work together and what it looks like for Matt to swim the river and Mark to care for him. And, you know, generally speaking, he likes me to be off his, you know, right-hand side. So when he's breathing, he can see me. If we're doing it at night, there'll be some light so that he can track it. And then I'm usually one or two body lengths away. Um, and I try to maintain 
that kind of formation, just in terms of like there's a place, a position and formation where you want to be, and then you try to stay there the whole time. Mark is a fighter pilot. He, he knows formation. What I need is when I look up on my stroke on the right and I breathe back, the nose of the kayak is at four o'clock right there. So I'm not, I don't have to look up and see you, which causes energy loss. Mark is right there at four o'clock. The nose of the kayak, six feet away from me, four o'clock. And all I have to do is follow that nose and he will gently guide me this way and that. And then occasionally he'll be like, boop, 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 you know, and, and sort of like, he'll point, you know, real quick, like track right, track right, you know, go, let's go, the, the channel's moving left. So I know, you know, it's like we have these signals. Mark has been my support paddler for over 12 years. We've been on major swims down the Caribbean. We did the Colorado River together. There is no other person that you'd ever want by your side leading you through. And then the other part that I do, which is managing the time in terms of time to eat, right? And every 20 or 30 minutes, always throughout the whole swim, he's got to be eating. I'll feed every 20 minutes, uh, 20 to 25 minutes, and I'll take in about 100 calories every feeding. Mark, he'll blow a whistle three times. Doop, doop, doop. And that means feeding time. It's like I'm an animal at the zoo or something, you know? It's like, okay, keep him from getting angry. The way it works, and there's also like rules that are guiding this. According to that, you know, there can't be anything where like he's holding on and you, you have to like throw things to him and pass things. So I don't think you can actually touch technically. So I just drop things in his hand. I stop and I kind of tread water. I reach up, I, you know, out of his hand, I just grab it really fast out of a bag. And there's a little bag that he uses so we don't really are not touching, so to speak. First of all, I'll give him the water so that he can start hydrating. And then he'll put his hand out when he's ready. I'll drop in the cliff bar. He'll be munching on the cliff bar, right? And then when he's done with that, then I'll give him the little gummy so that he can eat the gummy, you know? And so then I grab like scrambled eggs. I eat Bobo's Oat Bars, who's a really generous supporter and sponsor. And I'm not eating a lot, just a couple of bites, get it down, but I'm eating often. I'm drinking, I'm hydrating a ton. And boy, it's very ironic because, you know, you're in the water, so you don't feel dehydrated, but you're getting just as dehydrated as somebody else on the boats. Then he'll throw me the water bottle and he's back, heads in. And then I'm packing stuff up, getting things ready, and then trying to be alongside of him. Logistically, the feeding in the support boat as a marker where Matt can always see it and trust it for downriver guidance is vital. And yet, the most paramount skills and tools for an open water river swim are the tools for the mind. Mark works with Matt on a regular basis, developing and practicing the skills Matt will need to mentally work through the 15 hours of swimming, the drifting mind, the exhaustion, and the physical pain that Matt may encounter. Matt and Mark continue to explain their working relationship and the mind. You started to talk a little bit about where your brain goes. You feel the water, the creature, the fish. Where did your mind go yesterday when you were in the green? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, there's always the, uh, kind of a, a pattern of, I start out, it's sort of that nervous energy. I'm trying to relax. I'm getting in sync with my paddlers, you know, my support. 
and uh, it's really more about the process. And then after a couple of hours, you, that starts to sort of fade away and you're able to then, your mind starts to have all these thoughts. All these thoughts about, you know, just going back through all the moments of your life that bring you to that moment. And then the, you know, the next phase is sort of the, it's, it, it really slowly moves into like a Zen-like experience where everything sort of fades away. You know, in preparation for some of his swims, the way I frame my training in mindfulness and meditation is like, how can you use these techniques in a high-performance environment? You know, Matt swimming 14, 15 hours, that's a high-performance environment. And if you're doing something as potentially monotonous as swimming for 15 hours, and, and you're pushing your body to an extreme, probably your worst enemy is your mind because all it's doing is spinning and spinning and spinning in there. You know, over, over time when we were training, it's like teaching Matt the techniques so that he can do these things. And he has tools in his toolkit. So when his mind starts doing different things, he has confidence that he can approach his mind in a way that lets him kind of take the reins instead of being drug around by the nose. And before the swim, I had a visualization going with, with Mark Williams that we practiced in our mental conditioning sessions before the swim where I thought of myself as this little feather that just floated onto the water and that I was just going to be carried along effortlessly by this current and my own sort of volition and a divine intervention that would deliver us through the river, you know. And so that's what I was thinking about. As I know it sounds very simple, but when the going gets tough, my mind went to this laser focus of just imagining myself light as a feather. And every three strokes, light as a feather. Light as a feather. And so after a feeding, you know, we chat, I do my thing, I'd put my head down, and boom, light as a feather. Let's go back to that meditation. So the whole swim was really a meditation, a 15-hour swim, but a meditation on the river and the water and just floating down it, you know? He had an intercostal muscle that had been tweaked, and it was bothering him a little bit, even during the practice swims. One of my questions is, where's your head at? How's it doing? And then we were talking about strategies for dealing with that because that pain's going to go up almost 100% for sure, right? I had come down on a training swim and we did 15 miles. And during that swim, my intercostal muscle started to pull down on my lat and across my underarm pit, you know, and so then into my rotor tater cuff, kind of locking up. And I had a couple massages before, had really worked it, stretched it. And it was feeling all right. And so in the swim, about a couple hours in, it started, gee, 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 started pinching. It was really hurting. But I, I was sort of like, all right, if this is the worst that, ha that happens, you know, I'm fine, right? And so just kind of move, move along with it. Do you try to box it in? Do you try to ignore it? What do you try to do with this thing? And my reply to Matt was, you know, the, the, the saying goes, what you resist will persist. 
don't just try to box it up and put it somewhere because then you're just going to see if it stays boxed up and really all you're doing is arm wrestling with this thing. What you can do is bring your attention to that pain point and rest it there and become really curious about it. So instead of having a storyline about, oh, this is going to mess up my swim, this is a horrible thing, and, and when you're swimming and you're doing this for 15 hours, the stories get really interesting. So then it becomes more like, let's get really curious about the pain. Rest your attention on that pain. What's it doing? How's it doing it? No stories. None of it means anything. So that's one way to deal with it. And then another way to deal with it is to use the pain as a focal point for you to drive your, your equipoise into a deeper place. And, you know, just the whole swim was, it just sort of like increased and, and it, was, it was painful, really. Uh, Mark, he's given me some techniques to deal with these things. You know, when we do visualizations of the swim, we also do things like, all right, when are things falling apart? When are you shitting on yourself and vomiting? When is, you know, when are you going to pull the plug? What are you doing then when the moments are really hard? That mental conditioning piece of when the shit gets tough, right, and you have to focus. You need these techniques to go to, you know, go back to. And look, it's that's just not for the river, man. That's just that's life. We all need these things. We all need to have a place to go back to. He gave me some techniques for really how you know honing your mind. These are the the tools that we can go back to to help us deal with things like extreme pain, extreme anxiety, where you don't push it away. And Mark's theory is that, is that you own it, you bring it in, you make it a part of you. So when, my, when this thing was screaming, you know, it's been screaming for seven hours, every stroke is extreme pain, I said, hey, Little shoulder, I'm with you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sending you light and energy. I love you. Thank you. So you make it a part of you. It's not separate from you. And that gets back to the whole big picture is that when things are hurting like the Green River, they're not separate from us. They're connected to us. These are things that are part of us. These are the very veins of our life. Our lifeblood is right here. And so that's what we have to do, Sam, is like own it and connect with it. Beyond the skills and support boats is Matt's family. Matt's wife and son were both with Matt for the swim, and it was obvious that their presence was very important for Matt. Would you tell me your name and tell me about your life? Sure, my name is Kristen Mosley. I'm married to Matt Mosley, the swimmer. We have two kids, a 19-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl. I work as a water lawyer throughout the West, um, mostly Colorado, and I love rivers. Tell me a little bit more about your husband. You said Matt's the swimmer. Uh, give us a little bit more of the, the inside perspective on Matt. Matt is a very creative, very fun-loving, wonderful man. He is very determined. He loves swimming, and when he puts his mind to something, he 
goes full steam ahead. He's good at thinking of outlandish things and then actually making them happen. His Lake Pontchartrain swim was pretty amazing and a, a huge athletic feat, but also full of music. He arranged for uh, Papa Molly to play on the boat, as well as David Amram and Uganda Roberts playing through the night. Uh, we started in the evening um, because of the heat of the day. He wanted to avoid it, so it went all through the night, and it was amazing. He always pairs it with some sort of a nonprofit to raise awareness because it tends to get some hype around it. So for Lake Pontchartrain, he did it with the Lake Pontchartrain Foundation, and it really spurred a lot of their fundraising, and they were able to rebuild a lighthouse that had been destroyed in Katrina, and that was exciting and wonderful to see. He trains like crazy, just up super early, swimming. Yeah, he just works really hard. This, this swim that Matt put together, Green River, has this underlying theme that we've talked about in, in other parts of this, this episode around uh, water in the West, reduction in flows and lots of consumption and climate change and these things. What are your views on that message and these rivers? Well, we're in an extreme drought cycle right now. It seems like every day they're coming up with, this is the lowest the river's ever been this time of year um, pronouncements. Um, and there's just a lot of concern about, is it going to bounce back? We'll certainly have wet years in, in the future, but the concern about the trajectory of increasing droughts as time moves forward and with climate change, um, it's concerning, very concerning. This is Mike Feebig again from American Rivers. We have a job opening right now. It's an exciting opportunity. We're hiring an associate director for river protection for the Southwest US. The job's based in Durango, Colorado, but we're also open to any other strategic city in the Southwest US. The associate director will be working with me and the rest of the American Rivers team and our partners to help protect the last free-flowing rivers in the Southwest US. It's an exciting opportunity to work with a number of partners from tribes to federal scientists, government officials, other conservation folks, communities across the Southwest to protect water for people and nature. The ideal candidate will have a deep connection to the Southwest US, both geographically and culturally. We're looking for someone who knows and loves this area and really wants to protect the rivers down here. I'd say my job is a great balance between being both incredibly rewarding and, and fun and energetic and also incredibly difficult. You know, we're trying to tackle some of the most difficult problems in the Southwest, water scarcity, river protection, ecosystems for people and nature, incredible cultural resources. At American Rivers, we get to wear flip-flops to work every day and every once in a while, we've got to put on suits and go to DC too. You can find the details at both AmericanRivers.org and in the show notes to this episode. We hope you'll take a look and consider applying or sharing it with someone who you think would be great for this position. Thanks for your time and we hope to see you on the river. Let me recap this swim idea in detail after all of this previous information. 
Matt is working up to an open water swim, traveling 52 miles down the Green River in one day. He will not wear a PFD, also known as a life jacket, because this is not allowed per the open water swim rules, nor is it required for this stretch of river because of the consistent flat water. His paddling partner will be six feet off to his right for the entire swim, and there will be a lead canoe in front of these two leading down the channel. The rest of the group that is with him will be set up at the confluence of the Colorado and Green Rivers with a camp and post-swim meal and welcome celebration. Communication between Matt's swim team and the main group at the confluence will happen using in-reach texting. Beyond that is the purpose. Matt stated that his purpose in the swim is to bring awareness to the health of the rivers and, as Matt says, the desecration of the rivers. That is the basic summary of the swim. I was with the group at the confluence, and we had been checking the inReach for updates every few hours to have an idea of arrival times and to be apprised of any major changes. At 4.58 a.m., Matt walked into the Green River to start his swim. At 1.40 p.m., he completed 24 miles. At 5.12 p.m., he reached mile 34. We were doing some rough calculations of his speed and when he might arrive. It was appearing that he was going slower than anticipated and that he would be swimming for several hours in the dark, trusting more than ever the guidance of his support team. His arrival was calculated to be after midnight. And then we received a text on the inReach telling us that at 9.36 p.m., Matt was in the boat at mile 40. This meant he was done swimming. He would not reach his goal of swimming to the confluence. At 11.16 p.m., the two support boats arrived at the confluence. All of the support team and Matt were safe. Here is a condensed version of the swim group landing at the very windy confluence beach at 11.16 p.m. Set a personal record today, 27,000 strokes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my watch on it. 27,521 paddle yeah. strokes. Yeah. 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 It just got, you know, obviously, nice. what, after a while. We had, well it was done. for the safety of everybody. Yeah, right. We had to get the boats. Yeah. It, you know, it was time. Yeah. It was time to get the boats. Oh, we would have we gotten here at like 2 o'clock yeah. this morning. He swam for 15 yeah. hours straight. Wow. 40, 40 miles at this like bed like this. this. <laughs> and a lot is. A lot of it was crawling. Yeah. And I actually perfected a new move and I'd crawl and then bring my leg up and push off. At least we're all here. We're all safe. My, Where's Mark? You know, the Mark yeah. Williams. Nice Thank you. Mark yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mark Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Mark accomplished what 30 feedings today? Yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were actually good in the dark. It was okay. We only we actually only got only a, we didn't get stuck that much. I mean we got some really shallow shit and Matt had to walk across some Matt swam 40 miles in 15 hours. Well that is short of his goal of 52 miles. It still boggles my mind to think of swimming that distance. 
On the day following Matt's swim, we sat down on my boat to talk at length about the swim and the message. Interviewing Matt was fascinating. As he expresses himself, he moves between several topics and concepts, and at times for me, it felt scattered. Until, he would always bring it back to the question and to his passion for rivers and for life. I start off asking him how the swim went. It went really great. Awesome swim. Swam for 40 miles from Mineral Bottom to Jasper Canyon. You know, we were hoping to make it to the confluence, but it just didn't work out because of the F word, flows. You know, flows were really the issue in, in making that swim. Uh, we had planned it out. It was gonna be three miles an hour and three miles an hour would put you at the confluence with 52 miles. That would put you at the confluence in about 17 and a half hours. And we were ready to do that. We were really prepared. But when I got to mile 24 at just after halfway and we checked in, I ate something and we, you know, we were all great spirits, awesome swimming, loving it. And I said, you know, what time is it? And they said 2.45. And I knew, uh-oh, you know, I was supposed to be there at one o'clock. And so I already knew that the riding was a little bit on the wall, that, you know, the timing wasn't just working out, right? I felt like we had a, just a beautiful, awesome, powerful swim in terms of being connected with the river. But in the end, the flows just weren't there. That's part of the message. Right, this, this, this swim, what I recall you telling me in our first interview is that part of the, the message here is to talk about Western water. So the irony that you don't finish and there's a relationship to the flows, what does that do to the message? Does it change the message, do anything to the message? Well, the, the message always was the same in terms of coming out here and the reason why we put this expedition together with American Rivers was to, to talk about the Green River, to talk about Western water as a vehicle and a vessel, if you will. The swim was the swim was the swim. Whatever. There's this other other issue out there that's so much more important, and that's what we were here to do. And, and I think in the end, we accomplished our goals in that, you know. And we are here talking about Western water. And what's really interesting with this team of 16 people that's assembled for this expedition is that all of us are ambassadors for the water. We come out of these canyons and this place is imbued within us. We're not separate from us, you know? And that's, that's one thing I try to get across in the swimming is that we are the water. And in American rivers, they have a saying that people can't live where fish can't swim. And it's so true. And I felt like as a, as a swimmer, I'm a human fish, right? I feel like I have just as much a right to be there as any other fish, and I'm a part of this system. I'm not just looking at it from the outside, I'm, I'm in it. I'm living the water, I'm hearing its stories, and, and it's talking to me. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. And I think if people could realize their connection to the water, and that's, that's what I hope to bring about in the swim, and. I think that that's, we're starting that conversation. It's too bad we have to have the biggest drought ever to make that happen, but if we can use this swim in some way to get people to care about their water, then that's, 
the biggest success. Tell me about the blue mind. I saw you had a video before we came out. I grabbed it. I watched your video on YouTube real quick about the blue mind. Um, but tell me more about the blue mind. The blue mind is a state of being that is when when a person is around water. And when a person is around water, there is a neurological response to that stimuli. It's very basic, but it's why people feel really good when they take baths. It's why people like to go sit by the ocean. It's why we love rivers, right? They, this is not a response that is unwarranted either, right? Your brain really connects with this, some, with this something of water, and that's why it's, there's, a, there's a chemical response in your brain that makes you calmer, it makes you more rational, you know, there's all sorts of benefits to your mind when you're around water. There, is, there have been many throughout history, right, people who have philosophized on the impact of water on the human spirit. There's a book about a photographer who takes crystallized photos of water and exposes them to stimuli. And those stimuli, like if you expose frozen water crystals to Mozart, it turns blue like a snowflake. If you expose it to bad television, it looks cloudy. Expose it to angry music, it turns red and disjointed. And if our body is 80% water, then what are those stimuli doing to us? You know, it's a, it's a very powerful thing. And I have this book here, and I want to read a little quote about, um, about water. And it's, what's, what's the book? It, the book is from Marilyn Robinson. It's called Gilead. Quote, water is the purest, clearest of liquids. In virtue of this, its natural character, it is the image of the spotless nature of the divine spirit. In short, water has a significance in and of itself as water. It is on account of its natural quality that it is the consecrated and selected as the vehicle of the Holy Spirit. And so when I'm swimming, I feel that connection to water. And this is kind of out there. What if we created a church of water? And what if God was water? And we said, would people kneel to pray before water? Would they worship water in the same way they worship, worship these idols? In the same way they worship the Bible? Even though their life, their very life source depends upon this very spirit that we sit upon right now as we do this interview. Would they worship before it? Could we create a church of water? Being married to a water lawyer, and I know from swimming in rivers and my own work in water, that water is the most critical issue of our time. Fuck gold. Fuck oil. Screw gas. Man, this is our survival on this planet. And if we can't figure out how to take care of this, then we may not deserve to live here at all. But I'll tell you, while we're here, man, Enjoying the rivers, 
enjoying the spirit, man, and the way it brings us together on this expedition that we're here on, it's magical. It's so magical. It's what connects us. It's, it's amazing. So let's talk about the pulling the plug. And I think, yeah, are you speaking yeah. to the time Without when you lie. left the swim and you got into the boat? Talk about pulling yeah. the plug last night. The swim was going really well. We were, we were tracking at three miles per hour, which is our target time. We've done a lot of strategy, a lot of safety talks about what could happen with cardiac arrest or, you know, if I had to, if I had to pull out, you know, what's going to happen. And we've gamed a lot of these scenarios. And so uh, at uh, mile 24 around Turk's Head, we're, you know, halfway-ish, you know, right over halfway. And, and I said, you know, what time is it? And, you know, 2.45. And our target time is 1 o'clock. So I knew then already, it's like, okay, you know, something's happening here. And this is when we had hit potato bottom and these big, as you know, paddling it, you, these wide stretches where you can't find the channel. And Sam, I probably 80%, 70% of every stroke I took out there over 40 miles, I touched the, the bottom. Wow. I, gra- I touched the bottom in some way. Because it was so shallow. So shallow. Even in the channel. Even in the channel. And so it just, we knew that, you know, we just weren't making the exact. And it was ironic at the first part we were, you know, in the first first quarter to mile 12, our first check-in at nine o'clock, we were 3.3 miles per hour, you know, cooking, doing great. Um, second check-in way behind, you know, and 2.45, extrapolating that put me at the confluence at like 2 a.m. That's not, you know, and so I already knew a little bit, but also hoping that the flows would pick up through the canyon, which is what happens, right? You get into the later miles to the confluence and the water really picks up. There was one time even Feebig said, you know, we're kind of, um, we're having some time issues here, you know, and uh, it was the flows, like, and I had calculated it at the timing and when I'd swam here before on, you know, kind of training swims, I was doing three miles per hour. And that was pretty standard, you know, and that would put us at 17 and a half hours, leaving at 4.44. We get there by 9.30, woo, party at the confluence, yeah? It just didn't have the push, right? Didn't have the push. And as you also know, the low flows caused these rocky outcroppings in the river where uh, were really difficult to cross and super dangerous for me as a swimmer. Um, you know, six inches of water moving over a rock field that you're in is, you know, and then, so I'd put on my Chacos, walk across this, but they're all covered in algae. I'm slipping around, you know, very dangerous. Um, and not, that's not my swimming, right? That's taking energy. It's costing time. And I can't tell you the number of times I had to get up and walk across the channel constantly. And that's, you know, I'm in six inches of water, man. Like, it's, it's super low. So by the end, uh, I poked my head up. It was one of the feedings. We were mile 13, Jasper Canyon. And I'd already, uh, Mark Williams had already been asking, you know, are you okay? How are you doing? We're, we're 15 hours into swimming. Um, it, it's getting dark, cold. 
and I knew in my mind that like I don't want to put anybody in danger. You know, this is I, what you know what what we're coming for is a, is a bigger purpose. It's not about just the swim. And so by mile 13, I, I poked my head up and I said, "Hey, Mike, Mark, have you guys talked?" And they said, oh, "Absolutely." And, and I said, let's All right. be clear, really quick. You're, you're counting down miles. When you say yeah. 13, you're 13 from the confluence. 13 from the confluence. You, you've precisely. completed uh, 39 at that point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going Count into down. 40. I'm going yes. into 40 miles. Got it. We have 12 miles to go from the confluence. Yeah. You know, pretty hard to pull out, but that also means four and a half hours of swimming, and we're already at eight o'clock at night, and, and it's getting dark. And we're not prepared for this night swimming in a river. It's dangerous for everybody, right? Yeah, I poke my head up and I say, yeah, you guys, you know, let's prepare an exit strategy. It's, I know. So the tough part, man, was like, not that I had to pull the plug on the swim, but the tough part was that the river didn't have the flows that it needed, right? And like the rivers, like the very veins of our earth were like shrinking. And I could feel this, you know, this sort of desiccation of the earth like happening like before my eyes as a, as a fish like might feel with its habitat, like just getting wiped out. That's how I felt. I got washed out, literally washed out. It was, you know, I did the best swim of my life, man. I swam for 15 hours, 40 miles as an offering to this river. And it tried to push me down. It gave it every effort. And man, it just didn't have the water. And so, you know, Mike Feebig being who he is and, and the tremendous trip lead and, and instructor and, and really like, you know, he, they could have pulled me from the water at any time, but they let me come to that decision myself. And that's a beautiful thing. So I knew when I got out, you know, it was tough because it was a dream, right? I put this together for four years. I've been thinking about this thing. And it doesn't mean at all that it was any sort of, um, you know, I'm proud of what we put together, man. Super proud. But the only sadness is about the river. You know, it's not for my effort. My, I gave it all I could, and I have nothing. I, I gave everything on the table, left every ounce. And when I got in the boats, you know, it was like, okay. And luckily we had Phoebe, you know, Phoebe was like, get on the shore. And we were on a little rocky outcropping in this dark canyon. It's getting dark. And it's like, all right, we're going to gear up and we're going to get warmed. Mosley, you get warmed, get everything you need. We're going to feed you. We get electrolytes, get some protein, carbs in you, sugar, ate some chocolate, you know, and then getting in the boat, you know, it was hard, but it was like, it was the right thing. It was the right thing for everybody and the safety um, of the crew, right? And like we pulled in, we even still, we still had 12 miles to go late at night and it's dark, it's getting dark. It's, you know, 8.30 by then. And we still had 13 miles. We didn't pull in until like after 11. 
So look, the effort was like beautiful and majestic and awesome. But the bigger, there's a bigger problem. Right? There's a bigger issue at work here, and that's 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 what we're out here for in the bigger thing. Is there anything else you would like to talk about that you feel like I'm not asking? You know, I, the only other thing I might like add is like how. Um, so the the World Open Water Swimming Association has been really supportive of a lot of these swims because. Look, there's a lot of more, much more talented and better open water swimmers than I am. But the way Steve Unitonis puts it at, at the World Open Water Swimming Association is that there's few people that combine like art and purpose and the, and the elegance and the art of swimming in, into something else greater. And that's what I want to use it as, is something else greater. So it's swimming for a purpose, which keeps me healthy. and keeps me swimming so it's not just for me and that's when uh when I worked for Hunter Thompson and he's like what what the, what the hell are you doing he's like he called it gonzo swimming it's like you know you're going out and having this great time you know it's not a supper fest you assemble all these friends and people and it's it's an art project honestly and I do think of swimming as art it's performance art and it exists only for the time I'm doing it. For those minuscule 15 hours of my life yesterday, it was my art, right? It was, like, it was how I was expressing myself, the highest purpose of me. A gonzo swimming size thank you goes out to Matt Mosley for going deep about his blue mind and his vision for rivers and for welcoming me into this conversation. Today's show notes are full of info about Matt, his swims, his book, and other links to folks and components of this episode to include the job posting from American Rivers. I'm also going to do a shout out today. At the end of the river trip where this current episode comes from, we saw some river guides doing the fun, hot summer work of taking folks down the rivers. For many years, I worked as a commercial river guide and have a great amount of respect and love for the river guides. I had traveled down the river with one of them, Mike Quigley, and was pumped to say hey to him and the whole crew and give them some River Radius stickers. We had fun chatting for a bit, and we went on our ways. And then I walked back down to the boats at the takeout with my recorder and asked them a question. Hey, can I uh, can I do something with you guys? Yeah. I'd love to throw you in my next show just for fun. Can you guys just like tell me your name and your favorite river? Can I come aboard, Mike? All right, let me uh, make sure I'm all fired up here. Check, check. Recording. Yeah, man. Your name, your favorite river? My name's Zach Sam. My favorite river is the Little Colorado River. Shout out to Navajo Nation. My name's Keith Doherty, and mine's going to be the Grand Ronde River in Northeast Oregon. My name is Mike Quigley. My favorite river is the Colorado, right down here in Cataract Canyon. My name is Ernie B., and my favorite river, this may be a cop-out, but I'm going to go with the whole Colorado River system. My name's Scott Mowry. Uh, favorite river, obviously, Colorado, Cataract Canyon. Right on. I'm Sam. Sam nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All you river guides out there this summer, have a blast. Keep it safe and wet and say hey to the rivers. My name is Sam Carter. 
Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. It's all lighthearted. I'm not about suffering and pain, you know, although there was a lot of that. Can we just keep talking? The only thing I like more than swimming is talking about swimming. I'm doing some, uh, you know, some multicolored swim trunks, post lettuce wrap. Light as a feather. Light as a feather. Light as a feather.